Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. So have y'all seen any good basketball lately? Congratulations to Kansas and <clears throat> University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So some of y'all came up to me this morning like my grandma died, like, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. <laughs> You're like hugging me and like giving me tissues and stuff. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, mercy. Um, okay, friends, today's the fifth Sunday in Lent and the fifth in our series is called Set the Table. And we are talking about reclaiming the importance of eating together. And today I want to start with some sacramental theology. Everybody say sacramental theology. theology. Excellent, excellent. What is this? Sacramental theology is our way of understanding what the Bible teaches and what the church teaches about how God uses practices of our faith to communicate God's grace to us through the sacraments. In the Protestant church, we have two sacraments, and they are, do you know? Baptism and communion. Very good. So in baptism, we have this outward sign of water, and in communion, we have the bread, and we have the cup. And so these are practices of our faith that Jesus instituted that are practiced within the gathered community. They're a promise of God's grace for us, and that is why we call them sacraments. A sacrament is an outward sign of an inward grace, an outward sign of an inward grace, something that we practice on the outside with water, with bread, with wine, that reminds us of what God does by God's Holy Spirit to fill us full of God's love, to wash away our sin, to make us more like Jesus. Sacraments are sometimes referred to as means of grace. In other words, avenues, vessels through which we experience God's unearned love. You with me so far? This makes sense? Yes, okay, good. All right. Uh, we're talking about the table during this series. So baptism is another sacrament and worth, worthy of preaching, but today we're really focusing on, and this series we're focusing on Holy Communion. So let's talk about the names, some of the names of this sacrament and what those names tell us about what it is exactly we are doing. So when we say Holy Communion, that teaches us hopefully at least two things. One, that this is a holy encounter that we are having with a holy God. And second, that we are communing. There's a coming together. There's an experience of community. So let's think about that for a moment. Holy means this is a holy meal, right? It's set aside by the Lord. We experience the presence of the risen Christ with us. We are also being made holy by being forgiven of our sin and being increased in the love that we have for each other. And we're also communing, right? We are coming together. Notice the word community and communion are closely related, have the same root because we are doing this together. This is why we don't do private communion. This is why we don't do drive-by communion where we just like leave out the bread and juice and you just stop in anytime and grab it for yourself, right? Because we do it together. We do it together. Another name for the sacrament is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. How many of you have heard this phrase before? 
the Lord's Supper. Okay, different from the Last Supper. The Last Supper is the meal Jesus had once with his disciples. The Lord's Supper is a representation of the Last Supper. So notice the, the apostrophe, the, the uh, possession. It belongs to Jesus, right? So this is his table. This is his supper, and he invites us. And notice also, it literally is a supper, right? There's literally eating and drinking. It's not just figurative. It's not just symbolic. You can literally taste the goodness of God in the bread and in, in the wine. Another name we have for this meal is the Eucharist. How many of you know what Eucharist means? What does Eucharist mean? Good guess, through Christ? No, close. Any Greek scholars? Yes, who said that? Yes, well done, Thanksgiving, good, good. It's from the Greek Eucharistia, which means Thanksgiving. So notice, this is our Thanksgiving dinner, right? Okay, so we have American Thanksgiving in November, but we have our Christian Thanksgiving Sunday morning when we gather together, and we are giving thanks. The prayer that we always say before we come to the table is called the Great Thanksgiving. And so we give thanks to God for what Christ has done for us. We look backwards and we remember the crucifixion of Jesus. And some, if you've ever been in like a high church where they have a fancy table, and even in, in our sanctuary, it says across the front of the table, it says, in remembrance of me, right? Because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, think back to what I did for you. So in the Eucharist, there is a thanksgiving, a, a thanking God for what God has done in Christ. Now, there's also a looking forward, and this is really what I want to talk about today, because communion is also a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. Friends, communion is an appetizer for heaven. And I want you to think with me about how this meal is a forward-looking meal. It looks ahead to the time that we have in our eternity with God and each other forever and ever. When you read this book, when you read the Bible, one of the images that you come back to again and again for heaven is feasting. One of the images about heaven in the Bible is feasting, that there is a great feast in heaven and all of God's children are invited to the table. So where do we get that? Well, we get it from places like Revelation 19, which says this, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come. So there's a wedding reception. You ever been to a wedding reception? Okay, similar idea here. Okay, who is the lamb, by the way? Jesus, okay, not a true question, good. And his bride has made herself ready. Who is his bride? Do you know? The church, good. You are his bride. Can you believe Jesus wants to marry you? Isn't that awesome? Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So this is one of the images we have for heaven, friends. It's a wedding supper. It's a, it's a wedding reception. It's a feast. And Jesus is marrying the church. And this is his eternal party forever and ever. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah, sounds good to me. I don't know about you, I love to eat, so I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be good. A lot of other places in the Bible talk about heaven as a feast, okay? So if you wanna learn more, go to Matthew 25, go to Isaiah 25, go to Joel chapter two, a lot of other places. For today, we are gonna be in Luke 14. And this is in keeping with our series of stories of Jesus at the table. And so once more, we have a story of Jesus at the table. And I wanna set it up for you a little bit before I read. Um, Jesus is at the house, once again, of one of the religious leaders. And he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. He's teaching them about the um, posture of humility and service that is called for in the kingdom of God. He's saying things like, you know, in the kingdom of God, the last will be first. And now he's going to offer them a parable. 
So he's going to give the people at the table. He's going to teach them using a parable. And I want you to follow along with me as I read from Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So Jesus tells a parable. Parables are simple, relatable stories that Jesus uses to illuminate some spiritual truth. So what you need to understand about parables is they're not meant to be taken literally. They're meant to be taken spiritually. And there is a much deeper, more significant meaning to them than just what you see on the surface. So it's kind of like an allegory. Remember allegory from English class? Okay, it's kind of like that, in which each part of the story stands for something else, something more, okay? So the parable, in short, a man gave a banquet, a big feast. He invited all his friends, but when it was time for people to come, um, they didn't come. And the man was like, all right, fine. You bunch of ingrates, you know, I'll invite someone who's willing to come. And he has his servants go and, and bring in all kinds of other people, the poor and the blind and the crippled and the lame. Okay, so think about this with me. In the story, in the parable, who does the man who's giving the great banquet, who does the man represent? God the Father, okay? God the Father is having a great banquet. Now, what does the banquet represent? Okay, the supper, say it louder. Heaven, good, good. The banquet represents heaven, right? Just like in, the, in Revelation, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Okay, then you've got um, these people who are making excuses. Okay, these are the folks who uh, find something better to do than come into God's family. Uh, they find some reason, some distraction. And then you have all these distractions themselves, right? The field and the oxen and the marriage. These are the excuses that we make, right? As to why we don't come in and accept the invitation. Apparently some of the guests are just too busy to come to the party and they have snubbed the host. They have declined the invitation. They do not seem to realize in that moment that there are some people in their neighborhood who would give anything to come to the party. And yet they're invited and they choose not to come. Now for them, the master has a word of judgment. And I don't know if you caught this. It was right at the end of the passage. I heard one or two of you groan a little bit when you heard it because this is heavy and this is judgment. Okay, look at it. Verse 24. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. 
Those who were invited but chose not to come will not get to eat at the banquet. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to the Christian life, excuses can be deadly. Excuses can be deadly. They are poison to the soul. And here's why. Because they leave us feeling justified. They leave us feeling as if, oh, there's no need for confession because I have many good reasons why my life is the way it is. You see, the problem with that, friends, is without confession, there is no repentance. And without repentance, there is no forgiveness. And those who go through life making excuse after excuse will not taste the banquet of the master because we have deceived ourselves into thinking everything is just okay, when in fact it is not okay. So let me ask you, what is keeping you, friends, from a full and complete commitment to the Lord? What is keeping you from worshiping God every Sunday and every day of your life? What is keeping you from gathering with your brothers and sisters to study the Bible and to pray? What is keeping you from serving your neighbor in Jesus' name? Is there anything more important in your life than these things? Ask yourself and be honest. Is there anything in your life more important than the worship of Almighty God? What in the world could be more important than that? Jesus is inviting everyone who hears this parable to consider making a trade. And this is the trade. To trade the good for the best. Jesus is asking you to trade the good for the best. You ever notice how life is a series of trade-offs? Life is a series of choices. My mom used to say this all the time to me. It's like, son, life is a series of choices. You know, you make your choices and you live with it. Think about it. Think about how life works like this. Do you, do you want to work a little later? Or you want to go home and be with your family? You want to go on vacation or do you want to save up your money for later? You want to get more sleep or you want to go to the gym, right? Good things, all of them, all good things. Life is a series of choices. Wouldn't it be nice if it was a choice between bad and good? Because that's an easy choice, right? Of course, it's easy to choose the good. What's hard is when you have a choice between good and good or a choice between good and best. Jesus is asking you to trade the good for the best. Think about the things that kept the people from coming to the banquet. The farmer's got to go check out his field. Another one has to check out the new oxen. Another one is married. I mean, that's a good thing, right? All good things, not bad things, very good things. But are they ultimate things? Are they ultimate things, friends? You see, Jesus is inviting you. He's asking you to trade the good for the best. He's asking you to trade the temporary for the eternal. When you agree to follow Jesus, you agree to leave some things behind. And this is the nature of discipleship. Even some good things, right? We leave some good things behind in favor of the one best thing. And that is eternal life with Jesus Christ. So this is the first spiritual truth I want to leave you with today from this parable. Jesus is asking you to trade the good for the best. Let's talk about the second spiritual truth in this parable. <clears throat> Think with me about the story Jesus told. When the guests who were originally invited began to make excuses and decided not to show up, how did the master feel? Do you remember? 
He was angry, right? He's aggravated, he's irritated, he's disappointed. Why? Because he has gone to the trouble to prepare a great feast and all the best meat and all the best wine and all the best cheese and all delicious breads and, and all sorts of scrumptious, delicious things. And he has gone out of his way to prepare it for his friends, but they don't have time. They're blowing him off. And so he says, okay, servants go out and invite a bunch of other people. Invite everybody else. Invite anyone who will come, people off the streets and from the roads and the, and the byways, the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Anyone and everyone, just bring them in. Just bring them in. This parable is meant to teach us something about the heart of God, friends. The heart of God is for all the people, especially the least persons. The Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. People like you and me. People who are not like you and me. Jesus came to invite all of us into God's family. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about invitation, uh, one of the things that occurs to me is one of the worst experiences I've had as a human being is feeling uninvited, is feeling left out. You ever had that experience where you were left out and someone else was included? You were not invited, someone else was invited? That's one of the worst human experiences, I think. Years ago, I was serving a different church. It, it was a long time before Timberlake. And um, it was Sunday morning, and there was the usual Sunday morning buzz. You know that buzz you feel when you come in the room? It's like that mixture of, like, Holy Spirit and the children going crazy and the coffee. And, you know, everybody's, like, having a reunion, hugging each other, and there's handshakes and kisses. And everybody's just excited to be together. Last-minute preparations. The choir's warming up. Everything's happening, getting ready. Uh, the greeters are greeting. The ushers are ushing. And it's about time to start the service. And uh, in walks a family who's a guest. And we knew they were guests uh, for two reasons. One is because they weren't the usual attenders. We did not recognize them as members. But secondly, we knew very obviously because our church was almost all white people and this family was a black family. And they came in and they're making their way from the front door to the sanctuary. And as they're walking across the lobby, one of the women of my church came up to them and she said to them, I think you might be more comfortable at the church down the street. And she recommended to them that they go to the black Methodist church. And before I realized what was happening, they left. And you will not be surprised to know that they never came back again. Friends, if you have ever felt ashamed, if you have ever felt unworthy, if you have ever felt unwanted, if you have ever felt uninvited, I want you to hear one of the greatest truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus invites the people others reject. Jesus invites the people others reject. Jesus invites those who are despised by religion, who are rejected by the world, Jesus invites the people who feel unworthy or unwanted, who are left out of the cool kids group. Jesus invites the people who have been made to feel like they are not good enough. Jesus invites the people others reject. This is the awesome truth of the gospel. 
And I pray that it inspires awe inside of you and a sense of wonder inside of you when you realize that you are invited, that for all your flaws and shortcomings and all the things you've done or failed to do, that Jesus is inviting you. And I hope that there's a sense of wonder and of awe inside of you when you realize that this parable of the great banquet, this is a story about what heaven is like, friends. This is a story about what heaven is like. You see, in heaven, all sorts of unlikely people will be at the table. And this is so important because when we look around these days, we see a world that's divided, don't we? We see division in our world. We have divided ourselves as human beings by nation, by race, by language. We've divided ourselves by socioeconomic status, by political affiliation. But in heaven, there is no division. There's only one family and one race of people, and it is the human race, and it is the family of God. When we look around, you and I, we see some people who are in and some people who are out, don't we? There's in groups and there's out groups. In heaven, there's only one group, and everyone is invited in. Everyone is invited in. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you today, God's future is not merely a continuation of the present. Hallelujah. God is redeeming his creation. God is transforming your heart and my heart and the heart of his church so that we might become the holy body of Christ. God is redeeming his creation. God's future is a divine reversal. Good is going to come overcome evil, and the last are going to be first, and the poor are going to be rich, and those who are left out are going to be included. So the master got mad when people didn't come to his party, and he ordered his servants to go out and invite anyone else and everyone else, especially the least persons. Remember the list, like the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, right? That stands for the least person. And the servants did, and the people began to come in. But I want you to notice in the story, because the master's house was so big, because the master's house had so many rooms, because the master was so generous, look what happened next. Verse 22 and 23. The servants went out and did it, then they came back in to make the report. Sir, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. (laughs) There's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. Why? So that my house will be full. Friends, God the Father is anticipating a full house in heaven. There's nothing that would please him more than for all of his children to repent of their sin and confess Jesus Christ as Savior so that we might be joined together at the table in heaven forever and ever. Do you see this? There's still room. Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms. And so the story of the crucifixion and resurrection follows with his ascension. Jesus returns to sit at the right hand of God the Father. And on the appointed day, he's coming back. But in the meantime, do you understand what Jesus is doing? He's getting heaven ready. He's given heaven ready for you. He's preparing a place for you. Jesus invites the people others reject. Jesus invites the people others reject. Can you imagine what would happen if we did the same thing? 
Can you imagine what would happen if Timberlake Church became known as the church where all the people who aren't welcome anywhere else are welcome here? One of the boldest prayers I ever heard is this. God, send us the people no other church wants. God, send us the people no other church wants. I dare you to pray that prayer and see what God will do. Think about it. I mean, it's not hard to think about who these people are, right? The people who talk too much, people with body odor, people who miss the social cues, the needy, the poor, people who are angry and hurt and broken, people with special needs, people who are difficult to be around, people who are conceited and stuck up, people who vote for the other political party, right? Hello. People who think and talk and act differently than you and me. God, we know you love them. Would you help us to love them? God, give us a heart for all the people that no other church wants. And just in case you think for a moment, friends, that it might be a bad idea to pray that prayer, God send us the people nobody else wants. Remember this, please. When the son of God came to earth to start a revolution of grace and holiness, he invited the people no other rabbi wanted. Right? He invited fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes and all sorts of garden variety sinners. And he invited them to come to him and then he fed them and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And then he sent them back out into the world and they started a movement that was bigger and more powerful than anything they ever dreamed of. That's what God can do with people that nobody else wants, friends. Jesus invites the people others reject, people like you and me. And let me suggest to you, it is precisely the extent to which this church includes all sorts of different people that we embody and reflect the glory of God's kingdom. It is precisely the extent to which we include all sorts of different people that we reflect God's kingdom to the world. And so right now, God is preparing a party in heaven and Jesus is the host and he is the guest of honor and you are invited and so is everybody else. Everybody's invited, friends. There's room for you. There's a seat with your name on it at the table and so I'm inviting you on behalf of Jesus Christ to come this morning, to come, to come repent of your sin, to confess it, say it out loud, to acknowledge that you are broken, that you are a sinner, and that the only one who can save you is Jesus Christ. And maybe you've never named that before and said it, but let today be the day when you acknowledge your sin and when you confess it and you ask Jesus, Jesus be the Lord of my life and save my soul. And if you say that, he will do it. He will do it, friends. This is the table and it belongs to Jesus and he's inviting you to come. Come with faith, come with repentance, come receive the new life that he has for you.